0: Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Paul Foster, founder and CEO at OnePlan. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you here. Let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, so my kind of trade is is actually crowd science. So I worked on now six Olympic Games and multiple other events. So doing a lot of work around how people arrive and depart and, and move around at events. And when you think of that in an Olympic and Paralympic Games context, obviously that's a lot of people and keeping them all safe is a, is a big job. So I had a big role in London 2012 Olympics where I was overseeing the people movement um, external to the Olympic Park. So moving quarter of a million people in and out um, of the park each day. And yeah, huge, uh, a huge kind of operations. Uh, I've also done work with um, Interpol as well, advising on kind of people movement for gold and silver police commanders they have major events coming to their their cities or their or or their countries so yeah that's my kind of real background in in crowd science Uh, yeah i was always very frustrated with how um events are planned in mainly in powerpoint to be honest so people cutting and placing from google maps or from autocad and then planning all their overlay and human resources and science and wayfinding where the bins are going to be all in kind of powerpoint so i really wanted to move away from that and hence why i set up OnePlan. That's really
0: interesting. I mean, a very specific niche, but also impacting millions of event goers. So so is this something that you studied in school or just happened to get into out of school?
1: Yeah, I just happened to get into my kind of journey on the Olympic, Paralympic Games actually started in Beijing in 2008. I was a team manager of the wheelchair basketball team. I then moved into the UK government to help with planning for the London Olympics. And we had a big kind of challenge there in terms of who was going to manage all the people external to the venues so we did a big piece of work and then um a budget was allocated and, and i moved over to the organizing committee and oversaw that um operations for the for the olympic park so it was bit by chance fortunately things went very well in london 2012 and it was seen as one of the one of the great games so it went well and then was yeah worked on a, an advisory capacity for you know very very different events kind of globally and it moved from there and although yes, One Plan is kind of core, and its its part as in events and venues. Actually, we've had a really wide ranging use cases, and that's because it's very easy to kind of go and put something on the map or plan in One Plan. And do it. So we've had people plan vaccine sites in car parks. We've had people plan queue systems in front of polling stations for the U.S. election. So it's pretty wide and, and varied. Anything you want to put on a map or a plan, people are using it for that.
0: Yeah, interesting. Well, let, let's dive in. Tell us what yeah what does OnePlan do? What, what products and services does OnePlan offer?
1: Yeah, so we started off with a 2D system, our, our mapping platform for events and venues. And a couple of years ago, we then went into digital twinning. So essentially what we had in 2D turn it into into 3D way before the the term metaverse was even kind of floated. So the key things we're trying to do here is reduce risks around planning for events and make the whole process much more efficient. And this brings huge huge cost savings uh, and also saves on time and, uh, and carbon footprint as well. So think of it a little bit like a Google doc for site planning. So rather than doing it in PowerPoint and us having disconnected plans, it's all in one place. We can see to this curse and we can plan together in real time. And you know exactly what you need to kind of plan um, for that event. Um, we, we've based some of our, our processes actually on how Canva works. You've probably heard of Canva, a very, very successful system in terms of designing things and how their user interface works. So we've kind of looked at where they're successful and then looked at some of the best kind of mapping technology and brought that together with a very, very kind of, you know, simple and straightforward interface.
0: So is mapping then a key, a key component of, the, of this, especially with those really large, say Olympic type events? Is is mapping then, I guess, yeah, just the, the big component of of the process then?
1: Yeah, that's that's the core of it. Everything is geolocated very very accurately, so you know exactly where to to, to put things. So that's that's the real kind of core. We call it that GIS mapping in the in the technical mm. technical terms. A couple of years ago during COVID, one of our clients approached us and said, Look, "Love what you do in two D." but can you turn it into 3D? Because this particular venue that we were planning at, we can't go through the doors because it's a COVID hospital. However, we are still planning for this World Cup event still to kind of take place in a couple of months time. Because through COVID, one thing that was happening was people were planning again and again and again for different kinds of scenarios. So we actually connected up with Epic Games and Unreal Engine, who are famous for Fortnite. And we said, look, we need to kind of create some of these environments in 3D. So we worked very closely with them. And we've been able to pull together a GIS mapping system and Unreal Engine's gaming technology and to turn many of our environments now into, into 3D. And it's kind of you know really exploded since then. So we've got clients such as the LA Clippers, Paris 2024, Olympic and Paralympic Games and, and many other venues globally.
0: So is this helping with just the flow of people and traffic in and out and just the risk associated with that? Or tell us a little bit about, you know, once you've mapped the event and then is it simulating just the the, the people flow?
1: Yeah, so all, all sorts of things on the operational elements. So a lot of it's about how much stuff do you need and where and, you know, where do you have operational challenges? You can kind of, you know, plan things out, say, oh, will this actually work? You know, do I need to move things here? When you move into 3d it gives you that additional element to it so say you're planning signage uh, at a venue to be able to see it in 3d is the arrow pointing in the correct direction is the typeface on the sign big enough from a distance it brings in an extra kind of element but then there's also some very serious stuff kind of planned in there on the security side sniper lines of sight looking at kind of bomb blast impacts and these kind of things we can accurately simulate natural light and also artificial light down to the minute so, you know, the Paris team looking at what's the sunlight going to be in on July, such and such at a certain time of day. That can affect, you know, the spectator's experience, the athlete's experience, and also impacts on the people planning the camera positions. They may get lens flare at certain times of day. And again, we can simulate that, see where there may be kind of challenges. The other thing the 3D also moves into a lot more is the commercialization. So the LA Clippers are using the 3D model we created of their new venue, the Intuit Dome. To actually sell the hospitality spaces, sell the season tickets in that venue, because they've got a very highly realistic view of what that venue looks like. And it's not even complete yet. Doesn't get completed till 2024. So it enables them to commercialise it. Other use cases, workforce planning, workforce training as well. But yeah, it's pretty wide ranging how the 3D models can be used.
0: Yeah, that that's fascinating. Yeah, really interesting. Just a simulation, so you can kind of see what might happen before you actually get there. And it's like, boy, the signs don't have enough people, boxes, whatever it might be. So yeah, that's that is fascinating. And when did you found One Plan?
1: Yeah, so it was um, twenty nineteen. Um, so it's been pretty pretty quick in terms of how it's uh, how it's grown since then. And I um, six months into the life of the business, the the world changed, and the and the pandemic hit we all thought, oh, no, then there's no events happening. It's going to be a disaster. But actually, the reverse happened for us because people were planning again and again and again. We built in social distancing tools and we built in things that could support people when planning for when people returned back into the venues. So actually, it was a bit of an accelerator for us, the pandemic. And and people adopted technology so much more quicker during that period. So actually, we we kind of turned it around to a big positive.
0: Oh, that's great. And where are you located?
1: So we are a UK company with a global footprint. So we don't have an office, we we never did. Uh, We always tell people, oh, we was using Zoom before Zoom was cool. Uh, So yeah, our our team's based in 14 different countries. I think we speak about 10 different languages, but that's because we've got a very global platform. So over 25,000 events have been planned in uh, the OnePlan platform in 110 countries now.
0: Oh, wow, so 20,000 events so far, 110 countries. Okay, and what's your current team size?
1: Yeah, so around about 60, and which is a really good kind of comfortable number for us. So it's it's fairly large, but but not too large. You know, pretty much everyone knows each other. So a good size. So we don't expect to grow hugely, kind of beyond that. We've we've always been very very focused on kind of sustainable growth and not kind of growing the team out too well. But yeah, really kind of efficient team and everything we do.
0: Interesting. And and how does the pricing model work? Is this one-off pricing per event? Is it a subscription? How do you price? How do you charge your customers?
1: Yeah, subscription. And people often ask this question, oh, is the event just happening like once a year? Well... Most people plan multiple events. They see it sometimes as their kind of drop box of their event site plans. They want to know what happened last year, or they may need to pass it on to someone else or a supplier to show, you know, where to put things. Or they may need to share it with the emergency services to show them, you know, what the events can look like to get the approvals. So people don't tend to kind of cancel their subscriptions because, you know, they need to use those plans again and, you know, So yeah, it's a subscription-based model for both the 2D and the 3D platform. So your 3D is kind of a higher price point Mm -hmm. than the 2D side.
0: Okay, yeah, that's interesting because you see, of course, a lot of these uh, virtual event platforms, say an online conference that's virtual, and those companies are a bit trying to not struggle with pricing but figure out how to move it more to subscription versus, hey, I had my one-time event, I'll see you in a year, and then they stop paying. So it seems like you found – and maybe – the fact that it's it's you know these physical events that there is just more to than just having the event but there's so much then data information stored in that in in your site
1: yeah and if you look broadly at say let's just pick the event technology sector if you look at all the technology in there the vast majority are actually focused on the actual event the time of the actual event but actually the planning period is much, much, much longer than the actual event itself. And we're focused actually on the planning, the build up to it, making sure you get everything right, reducing risk, these kind of things. Uh, and there's not actually a whole lot in, in that um, kind of phase. It all tends to be much more focused on the, the actual operations itself, in, in which lends itself to people need the subscription and they need to have access to one plan for a longer period of time.
0: And then I assume, do you also help, say, companies who hold those big user conferences? Is that also an, applicable to your platform?
1: Yeah, so we're starting to move into the conferencing sector. So a very, very large conference uh, center in London, which I would say most people would to guess who it is, starting to kind of work with and doing kind of 3D visualizations there, actually helping them to sell the space, operationally plan, security, all the various use cases that we discussed earlier. So it is a, it's a sector that we're now starting to move into.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'm guessing you don't just, you know, call call up the the Olympic Committee and say, "Hey, do you want my my platform?" How how are you finding your prospects and customers?
1: Yeah, that was definitely a a longer kind of process of influence and things. We're we're actually an official partner, and you know, we're the first startup to ever be Olympic Games partner. And the category didn't exist until Paris. There was a lot of work kind of happened, um, kind of behind the behind the scenes. Um, But yeah, in terms of how we bring new people into One Plan, some people see an advert come in. Because on the 2D side, you can start using it today without even having to put your email address in and it's and it's free to access to have, you know, play mode, we call it, to have a play around with it. And then we do particularly well on kind of Facebook advertising, actually, because a lot of event planners, they will advertise their events on Facebook. So that's where we can kind of engage with them. But yeah, we're constantly testing the best kind of places to, to go to kind of advertise conferences are quite successful for us in the early days we we're going to attend everything but now we're kind of quite specialist so we, we tend to go to quite niche conferences and events to pick up the people that we're really targeting
0: and is there a certain minimum as far as the the size of these events you know does it have to be millions is it thousands hundreds any kind of minimum size that's a fit for your platform
1: no not at all uh there's quite a few thousand people have probably planned their weddings in one plan to be honest did they <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it does. It really does kind of range, you know, two uh, systems in front of polling stations, which I mentioned earlier, but then all the way up to Olympic. So yeah, it's very flexible in terms of how it can meet the needs of a small organisation, uh, maybe a, a city authority or a council, up to a Olympic Games committee.
0: Okay, interesting. And how much capital have you raised to date?
1: Yeah, so so far we've raised thirteen million pound across a couple of funding rounds. The most recent one, we bought into Strategic Partners, who invested, which is a variance Capital, based out of New York, and then Elysian Park Ventures as well, who are based in LA. So yeah, big kind of focus there on, on sport and venue sector for us. But the other the sector we work we work really well in is actually festivals.
0: Okay, so thirteen million pounds raised so far, and the most recent event it looked like was at five point three million pounds was yeah, the most recent correct, fundraising. Yes. Okay, and no really characterization of those rounds, but how would you kind of would you characterize these? You know, kind of a seed and then Series A, or or how are you thinking about your, your fundraising strategy so far?
1: Yeah, so I think our fundraising strategy, because people sometimes, say, oh, why don't you just raise loads loads of all kind of money? And I, and I think what we've always tried to do is go in a really sustainable way. So bringing the money well you know what what do we think we need over the next couple of years what's the milestone we actually kind of want to get to as i mentioned before you know we probably could have gone out and raised you know 25 million massively growing the team but we just don't think that was a kind of a sustainable way of doing it and and maybe you know we massively increased the cost but actually is is the revenue going up to kind of match that so we try to do it in a in a sustainable way, look at exactly what we need and try to kind of really, really be really, really focused as well. So yeah, hence why there haven't been like, you know, huge, huge rounds. But yeah, we're kind of, I would say we've called a couple of rounds, you know, the 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 series A we're at. You know, potentially we may, we may go for another funding round in the in the future, maybe kind of a growth equity. But yeah, it all depends on where we get to by by end of this year. Yeah, you know, so I think it goes on a need basis rather than saying right. We will go and do a, a growth activity. We will then do a Series C. We will then do a Series D. Let's see, mm-hmm. let's see where we are and kind of assessing that. We're fortunate that we have a lot of very experienced kind of investors, finance people who have invested and also on the board. So we 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 feel like we we're, we're getting good advice. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting because fundraising is a very strategic process, but it sounds like you've taken a more tactical approach to just like you said what capital do we need what milestones do we want to hit and then let's let's raise capital according to to that plan
1: yeah yeah and you, you definitely got to take account of the kind of macro things happening in the world because we also look at it we raise now and we raise in the future and that's not just based on the company performance it's actually based on what else is kind of like happening you know out there Certainly, and rightly so, investors are being kind of more diligent in terms of how they're kind of investing and and asking kind of for more things, which, you know, they they always should do. You know, is it going to get easier or is it going to get harder by the end of the year? You know, who who knows? So we've also got to keep an eye on, you know, what's happening more widely, not just on our own kind of performance. So we, we do a lot to kind of, you know, look at that and kind of assess... And I, you know, we keep in touch with a lot of investors who aren't our own investors who are kind of out there in the market and we speak to them going, okay, what's happening? How are things kind of going? What should we be aware of? So we, we try to keep our kind of ear to the ground as much as we can.
0: Okay. That, and that comes up quite a bit of, you know, of course you have your investors in these latest funding rounds, but also just talking to other investors in the community or maybe even potential investors down the road, just making sure yeah. you keep that relationship going.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure.
0: And in any fundraising lessons that you'd like to share with other founders listening with this latest five point three million dollar round, you know, in today's environment, we're recording this in April. Uh, anything that was interesting or anything you'd like to share as far as lessons learned in that latest
1: round? Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of lessons learned. <laughs> and obviously, yeah, raising funds takes up a lot of time, and it really does. It can distract you from the kind of business and the, you know running the business and you know building the business is is the, is the most important thing because that means you can probably raise more money in the future or, 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 or do other things. But I think over time, I've definitely got a lot more specific in terms of investors I will talk to and understanding kind of what they want and need and you know, my first questions is now is are you actively investing? And, you know, because the people in the in those offices, they still need to keep busy and, and maybe they're just, you know, speaking to companies just to keep aware, but maybe they're not kind of actually deploying capital. So the first thing is like, you know, are you deploying capital? If it's no, okay, are you going to be doing deploying capital over the next six months? What's your, you know, what dry powder have you got available at the moment? Is this kind of a serious conversation? And then really kind of understanding, you know, what their kind of key metrics is. So there's definitely you know i would say probably 10 maybe 15 investors i know that we're not right for them right now but i know what they want i know what milestones need to kind of be hit for them in you know further down the line where we may be appropriate so i've done a lot more in terms of understanding that i almost kind of now treat it like sales prospecting so try and understand your customer as much as you can Try and understand what their needs are. What is, you know, what will make them invest? What will make them buy? So yeah, I very much see it like a pipeline in terms of sales, and and, and I think that's definitely service better. I have less calls, but the ones I do now have, I feel like they're being more valuable, and you know, they're potentially going to, you know, help us in the future.
0: Oh, that's great advice, and it's really interesting, right? You, it seems like you've. Ne- have been able to narrow down that investor profile that might be a good fit for you. But then that question, are you yeah. actively investing or are we just kind of having just a, a general chat to, to learn about the market and what's going on with each other?
1: Yeah, 2019, 2020, I would have spoken to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and I probably did, you know, and the and the list of like investors I'm talking hundreds here, you know, mm. and those were the kind of the, the hot times. Everyone was, you know, frantically fishing and things were moving really, really kind of quickly. Um, but yeah, definitely kind of, you know, learn from that as the business grows, just don't have kind of time for that. And, um, yeah, just kind of managing that, um, a lot better.
0: Yeah. That's appreciate that, Paul. Fantastic advice, invi- advice for our insight for the other founders listening. But as we wrap up here, I have one more question. Uh, what. Currently, you know, I talk a lot of numbers, love SAS metrics. What is there a number that you really love right now to manage your business with, you know, whether it's a financial metric, sales metric, what what stands out? I'm just curious right now that just a, a number that you love to help manage your business.
1: Yeah, one number. I always say the teams always focus on, on one number. It actually links it. when We've got kind of milestones on the way to that, which then tap into kind of bonuses for the for the team. Uh, and a big. we'll get to a big point. So it's um, 10,000 paying users. 10,000 paying users converts over to a significant monthly reoccurring revenue. And it gets us to a very, very significant point. But if you ask anybody who works in our business, they'll say, what's, what's the target you're going to? They'll go Project 10K. Project 10K is 10,000 paying users. And they say when, and it's like as quickly as we can. <laughs> All
0: right, that's great. I love that. So everybody knows within the company 10,000 paying users. So love that. So as we wrap up here, Paul, what's next for your four one plan? What's coming up that's fun and exciting? Well, ho- hopefully
1: 10,000 paying users. Yeah,
0: that's uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's of course, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's working toward, to, towards that. And we have actually over the last couple of months actually seen, you know, the hockey stick start to happen and moving up. And the bit I'm really excited about is looking into the detail, like how do we get there kind of quicker? What things are working, not working? Um Yeah, so the kind of exciting things for us is really, really focusing. And and what I also advise kind of people as well when they ask is it's very hard to say no to things like there's these shiny new sectors. Like, oh, that's really exciting. like how cool that could be. Because, like, you know, like pulling it back you know where do we want to focus on so it's 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 one that gives you product market fit but product market fit is always like also includes how long is the sales cycle how much is that client potentially going to kind of pay pay you and the likelihood of it it's not just is that product right for it and we take those things into account to actually yeah these particular clients you know we can get them over the line kind of quickly they've got a quicker sales cycle internally they don't need so many approvals etc cetera, etc cetera. So looking at that and refining that, and I think we've, we're, we're really starting to nail that now where, where it is. So we do very well, for example, on new build and refurb stadiums and arenas. We're also very, very strong in festivals, very strong in road events. So we're kind of doubling down in those sectors, really nail them, and then we'll start to then go out to the others. As opposed to being very, very broad, which is definitely how we started back in 2019. You know, again, we, you know, we're talking and trying to satisfy everybody, but, you know, being really, really focused, really excited about doing that, that over this year.
0: And yeah, one more question here, because you work with event sizes of all different sizes. So is your sales cycle anywhere from days up to months to a year? I mean, what I assume you have a pretty big range of a sales cycle based on on who you're going after.
1: Yeah, we we definitely do. And it's looking at it where the longer ones are. It could, sometimes it's a tender process, you know, not very often, but sometimes it, it can be that. And it's like, right, is that worth it? And, you know, it's big effort to kind of get all that together to work it. You know, is, is that worth kind of doing it? And some of them start off small, but then, you know, we've, we've got clients who started off with like, you know, two users, and then they've converted up to like 45, 50. So again, it's identifying where are those ones where there is real potential for growth. And for me, that's where the sales part of it doesn't finish once they first you know, pay the first monthly subscription. Actually, as much of it is afterwards about nurturing that relationship. Hey, is anybody else going to be you know benefit now? that? Who else are you sharing this with? There's kind of that when we call it a customer success, but the customer success, you know, are also internal salespeople as well.
0: So it sounds like then expansion revenue is a big piece of your growth where you get in a couple of users and then expand that into a lot of users, more events coming through your platform then.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would say in terms of the revenue, as it's an equal split between new and growing growing the existing.
0: Okay, yeah, interesting. So many questions I asked, but I really appreciate your time today. So as we wrap up, Paul, if if listeners would like to learn more about your company, where should we send them online?
1: Yeah, so come and see us across at oneplanevents.com. You can follow us on social media and you know anybody, you know feel free to kind of connect with me on on LinkedIn, you know always happy to kind of talk about our journey so far, share ideas. And for me to learn as well from from other people's uh, journeys. But yeah, please feel free to kind of connect in with me.
0: That's great. Well, really appreciate your time today, Paul, sharing your background and that insight, those fundraising lessons, great lessons learned there. So again, Paul, appreciate your time and sharing your story.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much for the invite.
0: Thanks, Paul.